0: You do you. Let TrueGreen do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed.
1: Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
2: Welcome back to America Changed Forever from the CBS Audio Network. I'm Gil Gross. Tax time is upon us, and with it, an unexpected bit of bad news for people who are in no need of any more bad news it's a strange fact of life that the stimulus checks which can go to couples even in the low six figures are not taxable but money to the unemployed is and some of this for millions of americans has not been taxed so you're gonna have to pay does this make any sense and how did this happen Brian Galley is professor of law at Georgetown, whose expertise is on the law, taxation, and economics. And let me start off before we get to the place many of our listeners are going to find themselves in with, how did this come to pass, that people not making money pay taxes, and many people making money get a tax-free stimulus?
3: I think partly it's just because no one thought too carefully (laughs) about what they were doing last year, you know, in the scramble to make sure that families were going to be able to cope with with the recession. We tried to get benefits out and didn't think about the long-term consequences. There was some guidance from the Trump administration relatively early in the pandemic in April and May that the unemployment insurance benefits that Congress authorized, the quite generous benefits that were authorized in the CARES Act would be taxable. And I think they overlooked some serious legal arguments that they were wrong. Usually when people are collecting unemployment insurance, they have the option of asking the state to withhold for them. So that they don't have a big tax bill at the end of the year. The problem is that states were struggling with their technical capacity to even deliver benefits. You probably remember that places like Florida were weeks and even months behind in some cases in getting benefits out the door, And they just weren't able to update their computer systems to make sure that all these new benefits that were authorized in 2020 got the withholding that they were supposed. to.
2: And this is where part of the mess comes in. And there's there's a couple of angles to this. So let's kind of do this. And let me warn our listeners that they need to check because this is such a state-by-state thing that we could take up the entire hour show just trying to deal with what's happened in each state. Okay, putting that aside for a moment, a lot of people are unemployed. See, there's that box you can check where you can do... 10% withholding. And for those people who did that, they went, great, when I got these enhanced unemployment benefits under the CARES Act, I guess that's being withheld, right? And the answer to that, as you said, because some states just, you know, didn't call up the 14-year-old kid who knows IT in their state, uh, it did not get withheld. And they're now on the hook for that money.
3: That seems to be what's happening. The other thing, of course, is that Congress made UI-type benefits available to a lot of people who traditionally haven't been eligible, people like gig workers. And those folks may not have been familiar with what you have to do in order to make sure that you don't have a big surprise tax bill at the end of the year. And especially folks who are self-employed, often they have to do this thing called filing quarterly taxes. You thought filing taxes was bad. Filing quarterly taxes, it's four times as bad.
2: Yeah, and you've got another situation here. Besides people who, you're right, getting unemployment for the first time had no idea that it needs to be withheld, even taxable. I know one survey found about four out of ten people were in that boat, just didn't know. But besides that, you had a lot of Americans who didn't do withholding because... Unemployment on the average only covers about 40% of what people make in a job. And that doesn't even cover the lost benefits that they now have to pay for. So a lot of those people just needed every dime of that unemployment to just, you know, not be evicted.
3: Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's what was so short-sighted about authorizing these benefits and then forgetting to make them explicitly tax-exempt is when you're in a terrible recession. And as you said, getting less than half of your salary, it's pretty tough to set aside money to be able to pay a tax bill at at the end of the year and now unfortunately a lot of those families still their their main earners are out of work and now the government's going to ask them for 1,000 2,000 in some extreme cases maybe even more than $2,000 all at one time and that's that's a very tough ask.
2: or some people who counted on the stimulus checks said, great there's gonna be another stimulus check that's that's going to enable me to pay the rent and it's like no, that's going to enable you to pay your taxes and the unemployment. You're still stuck in the rent.
3: Right. Or some people might have been expecting a nice tax refund to help them pay the rent, and they're now not going to see that refund.
2: Now, this gets worse. Because I hate to make this get worse, but this gets worse. Because if you can't afford to pay the tax bill, you can get an extension, but you're going to get hit with interest penalties and fees. And if you're still unemployed or if you're newly reemployed and you're just trying to dig out from under, that's another problem.
3: Yeah, that's right. Usually if you want an extension on time to file your taxes, you have to estimate how much you're going to owe and make your payment at the time you ask for an extension. So asking for an extension of time to file your taxes helps you on the paperwork. It doesn't help you on cutting the check.
2: Okay, so... I think everybody's probably thinking, well, something's got to be done at the state level. And some states are doing things, a number of states, not, not a ton yet, but uh, legislatures in Maryland, Delaware, and Arkansas passed bills saying, look, you don't have to pay us taxes on unemployment or anything. A lot of other states are just kind of shrugging at this point. But what surprised me was finding out this doesn't necessarily need an act of Congress to change the Treasury Department. Could actually, and I I guess under the Stafford Act, you would know better than I could say. Look, you don't have to pay taxes on the unemployment. Is is that right?
3: That's my view. So there's a statute that Congress enacted in 2001 after the terrible events of September 11th that made sure that people who receive disaster relief payments don't pay taxes on that disaster relief. And that section says that if you receive a payment from a state government from the federal government in connection with disaster and in connection with a recognized disaster and you know in furtherance of the general welfare that you don't have to include that payment in income and we think all of those things are true about these payments that people received in 2020 congress authorized them in response to the pandemic pandemic has been declared a disaster the money is coming from states or the federal government and it's certainly promoting the general welfare to help people overcome the terrible situation that the pandemic has put them in both financially and in terms of their health the problem is that in back in April or May, the you know the Trump administration didn't recognize that this statute seemingly applies and they told people that they have to pay tax.
2: Wow. So was this policy in a way that that the federal government and states were going, hey, look, because so many people are out of work and we're paying unemployment benefits and because so many, you know, restaurant stores and, and other companies have either closed or their revenues are way down. We're not getting taxes in to pay for stuff, to pay for firemen, policemen, you know, schools, yeah. courts, the, the whole gamut of things. Did they purposely go, uh, look, it's going to be rough on some people, but we need this tax money? Or was this just kind of a complete baffling oversight?
3: No, I don't think it's intentional. I do think it's an oversight. I think at this point, the new administration is, is very well aware of this opportunity they they know that the statute says that disaster relief payments shouldn't be taxable it's totally up to them whether people who are struggling to pay the rent are also going to have to you know scrape the whatever bottom of whatever pockets they might have they might have to be able to pay a tax bill they know it's within their power and you know we're waiting to to see whether they're going to they're going to do something about it frankly i think that if they don't ultimately courts might and I don't understand why you would force people to go to court to to get what the law entitles them to instead of making clear that you're not going to ask them to undertake additional hardship.
2: Okay. But here's the final thing, a complication. People are filing their taxes now, and this is a very short because they started accepting tax returns late just a couple yep. of weeks ago, and you still only have to April 15th. There's been no word or talk of an extension this year, unlike last year. So that means a lot of people are filing now. So if either the biden administration or the courts go you know what that really shouldn't have been taxable people are going to have to jump through another hoop down the road and i guess file an amended return or something i mean to, to get that money back
3: you know that's certainly one possibility that if the administration were aggressive on this issue they probably could avoid so for example one thing you could do is you could ask the irs to do a little reprogramming and to flag returns that have an information return from the state that says that this individual got unemployment insurance. So the state sends a form to the IRS to tell the IRS that they, they cut you an unemployment insurance benefits check. And so the IRS on their computer can see who got unemployment insurance benefits, and they could program their computers, to kind of automatically reopen all those returns, and send people a check. The IRS already does this, you may know. Let's say if you got, you know, some interest from an investment fund that you forgot about, That funds send information to the IRS. The IRS, their computer will automatically spit out a letter that says, hey, you forgot to report that interest income. We could do the same thing in reverse. It would just take a little programming, probably take a month or so to do. People might have to wait for their refunds, but at least they wouldn't have to file an amended return.
2: Exactly, exactly. All right, we will stay on this to update people on what finally happens with this. Brian Galley is professor of law at Georgetown. I thank you so much for bringing this to everybody's attention. It's money in their pocket or out of their pocket for now, but maybe back at some point. Thank you, Brian.
3: Thank you, Gil.
2: You're listening to America Changed Forever from the CBS Audio Network. Welcome back to America Changed Forever from the CBS Audio Network. I'm Gil Gross. Well, here's one thing a lot of people of all political persuasions seem to agree on, though they've all had different strategies for getting it done, reopening schools. Right now, three-quarters of our nation's schools are either fully closed or partially closed. Seems to be safe for the kids, who even if they contract the virus, are with rare exceptions asymptomatic. But what about teachers? And what about the families the kids go home to? Many are in age categories or possible health categories that don't give them the same protection kids have. And that is one of the central debates about reopening schools. Randy Weingarten is the longtime Teachers Union leader who is now president of the American Federation of Teachers. Randy, how are you?
1: I'm pandemic fine, Gil. And how are you?
2: The same. Um, We're we're doing our best. You are traveling with Dr. Jill Biden, the first lady, and also a teacher making the yeah. case for and reopening the schools, but also seeing what teachers and parents are up against. What are you seeing, hearing? What do you expect to come out of this?
1: So, look, we were today in Meriden, Connecticut, and um, Dr. Cardona and Dr. Biden are on the way to Pennsylvania for another um, school visit. Um, and, and in a district that's represented by the, you know, NEA um, union, the other teacher union, Meriden, is a very special place in my heart as not only is it an AFT district and not only is it the district that Dr. Cardona um, taught in, was an AFT member, was a principal in, but it's a place that shows that when educators and administrators work together they can actually make things work. And that's what we saw today. It's, you know, and I was really glad that Dr. Cardona talked about being solution-driven and, and that um, we need to solve problems because in the aftermath of COVID, we have to meet people where they are and we have to solve the, not only the problems that arose out of COVID, but the problems that were made worse because of COVID. And not just solve to the status quo, but actually make life better for Americans, particularly those for whom this has been a terrible, terrible time. And that starts with reopening schools safely. So, you know, what I'm pleased about, Gail, is that this month, we've actually met the milestone of over half of the schools in America are now, um, re, you know, reopened um, for in-person learning and that you've seen a significant number start to reopen in, you know, since the surge has kind of, you know, since, since COVID has kind of, we've, we've seen a huge decrease in it. You've seen people feeling like with the mitigation strategies that the CDC has pushed, with the um, vaccines, that um, uh, the president has just now promised, particularly to vaccinate teachers, you know, by the end of March, and with the kind of testing that NFL and March Madness has done, you have a roadmap for how to sustainably and equitably reopen uh,
2: schools for in-person learning. Dr. Cardoza, of course, the new education secretary, and let's talk about the mitigation. You bring up the National Football League. National Football League has a lot of money. A lot of school districts don't. Your, your teachers, uh, teachers across the country, have either been buying their own supplies for school or they've been, you know, pleading with parents to uh, get things for school. In a lot of uh, cities, states, counties, lost a lot of tax revenue, of course, as people lost their jobs, as companies shut down, as businesses shut down, restaurants and everything else during this period. So how do we get that mitigation in schools when we already seem to be underfunded for many schools?
1: So I'm so glad you asked that question, and that's part of what is in the Senate right now, the American Rescue Act, which um, which you know President Biden pushed for, you know, as soon as he became president, which the House of Representatives passed um, late last Friday night, and which hopefully the Senate will pass its version um, this this week, because we know that yes, yeah, billionaires have done quite well during this pandemic. You know, they've made about one point trillion dollars. More wealth, but for most mere mortals, um, this has been a real struggle. In fact, eight million more people are impoverished because of COVID. We've had massive unemployment. We know what has happened in terms of small businesses. So you got a double, um, you know, a, a, a double crisis in that states don't have the revenues they need, which actually makes things worse, and that's on top of this kind of long-standing inequality and disinvestment, you know, that you so eloquently talked about teachers taking money out of their pockets for PPE, for supplies, for all these other things. So that's why you need the, the funding that the American Rescue Act has for states and localities, $350 billion, as well as for schools, which is about um, pre-K to higher ed, about $107 billion. And we believe that this funding will help not only buy the PPE and retrofit ventilation systems, um, but will also do the things like get us the testing that we need, particularly in, in areas where we still have high COVID, um, make sure that we can get vaccines into people's arms, um, have the summer programs and the other social-emotional um, programs that are needed to help kids get their mojo back, meaning hiring the nurses, hiring guidance counselors, smaller class sizes, and and particularly for those communities that have always been treated inequitably um, because of lack of property taxes or you know revenues or other types of things. So that's why you have a big number there, and we need to get it out to schools. As quickly as possible after it's passed, because they need it for planning as well. The Rescue Act, thank God, is very popular with Republicans and Democrats alike. From the fourteen hundred dollar cash payments to having a real unemployment check if people have lost um, their jobs, to to having a foreclosures being you know being deferred and 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 having an eviction moratorium to having a student debt moratorium, but also to making sure we can turn the corner to see some semblance of normal life again in the next few months as we firmly and finally tackle COVID.
2: Randy, some teachers have said that they need to see at least two weeks with no virus cases in their area before they'll feel safe returning. But we know scientifically that's unlikely to ever happen, that the end of the crisis, and we covered this with a science reporter last week, is probably going to be, since this virus seems to be very hardy, when we get to the flu level. And in other words, we're talking about twenty to 50,000 deaths a year, that there's not going to be a zero. So how do we deal with that?
1: So, um, Gil, when you hear educators say that, what they're talking about is their fear. Because, and 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 we just did some recent polling, um, you know, from our membership, and our members are fearful. 71% um, are fearful that they're going to bring COVID home, you know, and particularly since so much of COVID is spread asymptomatically, which is why the testing is so important, which is why... If, you know, again, in priorities, if it, NSL can do it and, you know, then we should be able to do it in schooling because schooling should be, I love football, but frankly, schooling should be more important than football in the United States of America. And so what you're hearing is you're hearing people just being fearful. There is not a strategy in life that's completely no risk, but what we have learned from the fall is that when you do these mitigation strategies of masking, worn properly, um, physical distancing, cleaning and ventilation, when you make sure that those who are at risk can be accommodated or if they're taking care of people at risk, they can be accommodated. And then you layer on this testing so you can see what's unseen. And you have this protective coat, this extra protective coat of vaccines Um, as a priority, you know, where where, where educators are prioritized, then you're creating um, the kind of safety situation that we need to reopen our, you know, our, our schools in person. We know it's important to kids, and that's why we're working so hard to do it. But the trust comes from, you know, people seeing that it works and seeing that those steps are not just promised but are actually taken. And what we've seen in our polling is that when the steps are taken, teachers actually trust it. And when teachers start talking to communities about how they're trusting it, you're starting to then see huge numbers of kids coming back because parents will trust what the teachers are saying about it far more than they'll trust others.
2: American Federation of Teachers Union President Randy Weingarten. Now, we're going to talk more about this, including how the kids are doing, and that's coming up. You're listening to America Changed Forever from the CBS Audio Network.
1: (laughs) Ah.
3: Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery.
2: Welcome back to America Changed Forever from the CBS Audio Network. I'm Gil Gross. And we've been talking about reopening schools and getting teachers to agree to come back with American Federation of Teachers Union leader, Randy Weingarten. Let's talk about people who are heavily invested in this whole conversation and often... Reporters, frankly, uh, kind of like skip that part of it. Not as interesting politically and all of that. But we've got the kids. We've got uh, kids, very often, if a child's being abused at home, the first person who sees the evidence of that is a teacher. We have kids who depend for nutrition on school lunches. Some areas have done yeoman's work on getting food to those kids, but many have not been able to. And we have kids feeling isolated. We have kids who are already behind in school, falling further behind. We have the kind of kids who unfortunately have the fewest resources in keeping up with learning, who are in areas with, you know, no Wi-Fi, no Internet, uh, you know, no way of keeping up. What are teachers going to be facing with these kids as we get schools reopened? What are they going to be looking for? What in terms of kids having fallen behind, uh, maybe uh, socially not being as uh, as accepted by other kids as they were before? What are teachers going to be facing?
1: So, that is the that's the sixty four thousand dollar question, or I guess in twenty twenty one we say that's the million dollar question. This is part of why our union has tried to find ways to reopen school in school learning safely since last April, because the burden on 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 students um, and the effects of this pandemic on students has been great. And teachers will be the first to tell you because they're on screens with kids all the time and they see the effects just talk about the effects of social isolation on kids. Kids are, you know, kids are communal. Schooling is communal. And and the the, the social isolation has been a tragedy born out of this virus. So what what we need to do is there needs to be a multiple prong strategy here, which is first and foremost, you know, we have to deal with, as we are right now, how we see kids, how we make sure that they feel supported and safe, just like we need to do with families, just like we need to do with educators. How do they get their mojo back? Kids are resilient, but we have to help make sure they get their confidence back, their mojo back, and so addressing well being social emotional issues is the first priority. Addressing food insecurity, obviously, is the first priority. And, and we believe, many of us who have, you know, spent our lives, um, you know, basically caring about kids and wanting to make a difference in kids' lives, um, that we believe that if you start emotionally and socially and meet those needs, then it's gonna be easier to actually assess um, learning issues and meet the academic issues but i would actually take a step further which is this is not about going back to the status quo there what we've learned in this pandemic is what we actually knew beforehand which is that schools that had wraparound services around schools in person those wraparound services virtually uh, you know they can move them virtually you could have a safety net for kids and their families we need to have community schools and wraparound services in many 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 more places because these kind of issues are going to come up all the time number two we did those schools that actually did inquiry-based learning and project-based instruction rather than teaching to the test where we actually you know summed up what p- kids learned last year where we actually had um projects science projects you know music even virtual choruses uh, where there was a real engagement in civics those kids that actually had learned the muscle of that are far more prepared to deal with the problems of the world and the problems, you know, and and, and and their own academic success than kids who were taught just by teaching to the test. So we really need to rethink all this accountability and make the accountability systems aligned with what kids need to know and be able to do. So instead of having a standardized test this year, we should have been able to give teachers the freedom to assess where their kids are right now and talk to parents and talk to the teacher next year until so we build on where kids are not on what a standardized test may say when many of the kids may not even take the standardized test because logistically it's it, 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 it's not gonna work
2: okay and Then as a final question let me get to the specific of what you were just talking about the president who in his campaign spoke out against standardized testing has now reinstated standardized testing for the coming year it sounds like you think that's a mistake
1: 10 states had already asked for waivers of it. And the administration has, has said, the new administration has said, they'll do a lot of waivers. They will delink the the stakes of these tests from the actual tests. They'll say that people can take them whenever, It makes sense. They're not going to force somebody to go into a school just to take a test.
2: Randy Weingarten, it's always enlightening, always a pleasure. Longtime Teachers Union leader, now president of the American Federation of Teachers, who went on a journey with the First Lady and the new Education Secretary this week to see what is going on and what needs to go on in our schools to get them fully reopened. Randy, thank you for being with us.
1: Thank you, Gil. My pleasure, my honor.
2: You're listening to America Changed Forever from the CBS Audio Network. Welcome back to America Change Forever from the CBS Audio Network. I'm Gil Gross. And as we talked about briefly in our last show, the United States is back on Mars. Longtime astronomy professor, writer, and general all-around space explainer Andrew Fracknoy is back with us to answer our questions. And Andy, let's start off with this specific mission. What can Perseverance do? What might we learn from it?
4: Well, this is a very interesting mission as part of a series. So Uh, You have to think of NASA's long-term aim as being follow the water. We know from other studies that ancient Mars was quite different from Mars today. Ancient Mars had a much thicker atmosphere, allowing rivers to flow, lakes to gather, maybe even a small ocean. And NASA has landed Perseverance in one of those ancient lakes, now completely dry because the atmosphere is too thin for uh, running water on the surface, but still a place where we know there was a lot of water in the past. And where there was water, the hope is there might have been the first stirrings of life. Uh, if if we can put it this way, even a second genesis, an independent beginning of life uh, that is not connected with life on Earth. Wouldn't it be fascinating to still find some evidence, billions of years later, of this ancient life and be able to analyze it in our laboratory? So the spacecraft, the rover itself, is able to do some analysis, but for the first time it's going to dig for some sample materials put them into uh, containers, preserving containers, leave them on the surface of Mars in the hope that a future mission will come back to that same place, pick up the samples, bring them to orbit, and eventually back to Earth. So that's the long range plan.
2: Now, people may wonder, other than just our natural curiosity, why it's so important to find out if there is microbial life, maybe even still existing on Mars, but, you know, underground. But for those who remember that H.G. Wells story or the movies, War of the Worlds, the Martians are defeated, not by our weapons, but by, ta-da, a coronavirus, the common cold, much as we're being attacked here. So I take it part of the importance of this also is before we send humans to Mars, we need to know if its cooties or our cooties may have a bad effect on life here or there when we we arrive.
4: Well, that's certainly one consideration, if there are still living things, which is Uh, Perhaps doubtful, but if just in case, we want to check on that. But more generally, uh, this fits into a bigger program in astronomy where over the last couple of decades, we have discovered thousands of planets around other stars. And some of these planets are actually like the Earth in the sense that they are solid worlds in a zone around their star where water can flow and life might begin. So Mars is a sort of miniature version of these exoplanets or alien worlds. As we learn more about what might have been possible on ancient Mars, uh, we have our our eyes on the larger prize of if life could start independently on Mars, maybe it could start on those planets as well. And then the Star Trek view of the universe where uh, many planets may be inhabited is no longer fantasy.
2: Yeah, but Mars is also kind of a lesson in how everything can go wrong or how on Earth maybe we got lucky and everything went right because we've retained our atmosphere. And And I've tried to explain this why on, on the show because it's things we're hardly aware of, like a molten iron core that gives us magnetic poles that keeps the solar winds from scraping our atmosphere away. But um, even then I sound like I'm talking about Earth being a Tootsie Pop with an iron center. So why is Mars pretty much dead, as far as we
4: know, and you and I are here? Well, this is a a great question. A lot of it has to do with size. Uh, Mars is a smaller world than Earth, and because its gravity is less, it's about 38% of Earth's gravity, that means that the air can essentially waft away, drift away over billions of years. And even with volcanoes on Mars trying to replace the gases in the atmosphere, Mars was just too small a world to be able to hold on to its atmosphere. And without atmospheric pressure, liquids just evaporate. Uh, Also, without a thick atmosphere, the planet got colder. So whatever water there was on Mars froze or evaporated into the atmosphere in a way, perhaps into space. And so that left Mars without the kinds of conditions uh, where you and I could go to a swimming pool or or enjoy a summer's day.
2: So people are hearing us talk about, hey, we're, we're going to find out maybe if life once existed on Mars. But then they're getting confused because they're thinking, wait a second, didn't I hear a couple of years ago, somebody from NASA saying, yes, we have found complex organic molecules, there was life on Earth, and now we're going, now we're not sure, or we don't think there was, or we
4: just don't know what happened. Oh, well, this you're going back to the Clinton administration, uh, where there was a chunk of material from Mars that we found on Earth. This is also an interesting story, that because Mars has lower gravity, if Mars gets hit by a big chunk of rock from space, The result of that collision with Mars can take Mars material and send it out into the solar system. We can actually uh, crash something into Mars and cause pieces of Mars to escape the planet's gravity. And some of those pieces over the billions of years have wound up on Earth. We found one of those pieces, and for a while it looked like that some of the fossilized remains perhaps were like life, but better analysis showed that that, that was a premature judgment, that in fact uh, those were natural mineral uh, patterns and not life patterns. So we've had to let go of that particular experiment as telling us anything about Mars. But uh, still, we, we hold out hope that, as you said, perhaps deep inside Mars, in some protective places. Also, Mars has a lot of frozen water, so maybe in that frozen water or under it, we might still find traces of ancient life.
2: Okay, last thing, getting away from the science as a final thing, this has been your life. One of the things we've gotten from Perseverance already is just about 18 seconds of audio, and it was just basically the wind on Mars. How exciting was that for you personally?
4: Well, it is very exciting to have audio. And and in particular, it's really interesting for astronomers to see the variety of weather on Mars. So you always think about weather on Earth, and it turns out there's weather on other worlds as well. Uh, Mars has wind storms. Sometimes the storms get so strong that the entire planet It's covered with dust, with dust in the atmosphere, and we can't see down. Our telescopes cannot penetrate the huge dust storms, and that's in a very thin atmosphere. Then you take a planet like Jupiter, which is almost all atmosphere and liquid, and it has huge storms in it. There's a storm on Jupiter, which is three times the size of planet Earth. That's, That's really weather. Uh, and the same is true of some of the other planets. Saturn has giant storms that, that go around and around on the planet. So in a way, studying Mars is our first uh, foray into uh, extra, extraterrestrial meteorology, into the weather on other worlds. And learning about other worlds always makes us uh, more protective, of conditions on earth because we now know that on no other planet we have discovered so far could we exist without a lot of protection in a spacesuit so we better take care of planet earth while we're doing all this exploration
2: astronomy professor and author andrew Fraknoi, andy it's it's always a pleasure Thank you. There's been it 2020 was such a rough year for this planet that here in 2021, it's nice to talk about another one. Thanks for being with us. All righty. You're listening to America Change Forever from the CBS Audio Network.
1: CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car.
2: Welcome back to America Changed Forever. From the CBS Audio Network, I'm Gil Gross. As the pandemic began, many people thought that all these Americans stuck inside for months would end up making babies. Apparently, not so much. CBS News correspondent Tony DeCoppo covers that, but first, here's what we once feared as told to America by Walter Cronkite. The stakes
4: in this battle are far greater than any other we have ever fought.
0: In the 1960s and 70s, an apocalyptic fear gripped America. The experts we interviewed told us population was the fundamental crisis. As the world stampeded toward 10 billion people, many researchers predicted that overpopulation would ruin us.
2: Sometime in the next 15 years, the end will come. And by the end, I mean an utter breakdown of the capacity of the planet to support humanity.
0: But these days, a very different note from researchers like USC professor Dal Myers, who studies demographic trends.
4: The trouble is that we, we overshot. We dropped it down too much now.
0: While the global population is still growing, a major study last summer predicted it'll actually peak in 2064 and then fall by nearly a billion people by the end of the century. The reason? Fewer babies. Here in the U.S., in fact, we're already below the so-called replacement level by some measures. And that means fewer young people to support our otherwise aging population.
4: That's a crisis. We need to have enough working-age people to carry the load of these seniors who have deserved their retirement. They deserve all their entitlements, and they're gonna live out another 30 years. Nobody in the history of of the globe has had so many
0: older people to deal with. And the pandemic is only making this problem worse, despite some early jokes that more families staying home together might mean more babies.
4: We thought, oh, we would see a baby boom, but we just haven't seen it.
0: Dr. David Jaspin is chair of the Department of Gynecology and Obstetrics at Einstein Medical Center in Philadelphia. He says patients are worried about not only their health, but their finances. So you're hearing more people ask you about contraception and fewer people say, we're thinking about trying.
4: That's absolutely true. I get a report every morning at 5.15 about what has happened in the last 24 hours. And the first report that I see is the number of deliveries in the last 24 hours. It's less than it used to be.
0: The question now is, how low will it go? The Brookings Institution has predicted a large, lasting baby bust of at least 300,000 fewer children in 2021. We are on the precipice, at the very least, of not having enough children to replace our population.
1: And so what? I mean, well, that's the that's interesting the question,
0: question yeah. right? So, Laura Lindbergh uh, tracks uh, reproductive uh, data uh, for the Guttmacher uh, Institute. Uh, and while she's also seeing the baby bust, she views it as a sign of progress, a marker of women's equality and freedom of choice.
1: So it's a shift to later in life. In that shift comes more education, more career, more employment. Um, so it's a reordering of how people engage in adulthood. In
0: 1978, when you were breaking into the field, did you ever think in your lifetime, you'd be talking about a declining birth rate globally. No.
4: So what changed? The burdens of life, the cost of housing, the cost of education, all these things are, have, have become more and more difficult. I think the, the boomers themselves don't realize it, how much harder it is for millennials today. And they think, oh yeah, when we were young, we had to live you know, on very little money and we made do and you can do the same. That's the story, right? Well, no, it really is a lot harder for the young people today. It's amazing how much harder it is.
2: This has been America Changed Forever from the CBS Audio Network, produced by District Productive and Paul Woody Woodhull. I'm Gil Gross.
1: Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News Business Analyst, Certified Financial Planner and host of the Money Watch podcast